Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Van der Sonder drives it across, brilliant header, Viviana Minima. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, we know who's battling out the top of the WSL, but what about the teams behind them? Also, refereeing is back under the spotlight after some controversial decisions this week. And the FA Cup fourth round is here. Whipped across. Meads. Kirby. Kirby again. Lika Martins will pick up this loose ball. A little bit of a nudge in the back. Lika Martins! Mid-table is not something that normally sparks loads of excitement. But actually, I think in the WSL right now, mid-table is very intriguing and interesting because it's been a bit of a mess all season. Lots of people kind of dropping in, dropping out. But right now, it's a very interesting middle pack of teams. You've got Reading on a huge bounce, club record for WSL wins in a row. You've got West Ham slowly creeping and climbing up the table. Very interesting team. I think people should keep an eye on. Haven't lost, I think, in the league since November. Got Everton, who continue to just be a bit of a mess, but obviously have a lot of talent, spent a lot of money. Brighton struggled last couple of weeks, got a point against Chelsea. Very interesting sides. Aston Villa getting themselves out of the relegation battle. Spurs, Chloe Morgan Spurs. What's the vibes, guys? Who's your favourite middle team? Oh, that's really hard. Okay, I mean, you don't have to pick one. Yeah, that's favorite mean. middle. Sorry. That's such a weird That's question. like picking your favourite middle child, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> the middle one, probably. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because it, it is literally the case of a, a, a win or loss and you're, you're jumping three or four uh, places down the table. You know, we've looked at Spurs in third place. We've looked at Brighton in third place. We've had Man United in third place. Man City are creeping up the table. Um, and they're literally just like swapping places every week it changes. Um, so yeah, I think... We've we've talked a lot about the top. We've talked a lot about the bottom. The middle is really interesting Are too. You a I top mean, or a bottom? That is personal <laughs> information. Kind of question is that? Just because you're wearing a lovers FC shirt does not mean you get to ask us. Sorry, that might be a little bit too extra. Do you think so? That's, that's to go out later tonight. Cut that. Cut that. Romantic strikes again. Jeez. Sorry. What was the question <laughs> before you asked me that? 
Um, who, well, who, maybe let's let's go for something a little more PG. Who is your one to watch in the mid mid table race for best of the mid table bunch? This is what makes this <laughs> such a weird conversation. Is because you don't win anything and you no. don't drop out of the tape the the league. Um, but it's still it's still fun to watch. I think for me, it's about growth. Yeah, right? who, who is showing the most growth? Absolutely. I think Reading have really impressed me. I know I talk about Reading all the time. I've got a little soft spot for Reading. Um, but they've really impressed me. Because not only have they beaten the likes of Chelsea, but they, you know, they came from 2-0 down to beat Birmingham. Um, and I think they've shown real growth over just this season alone. When we look at how they started, that was mostly down to me being at the games. Um, but they, I think, lost four or five on the bounce. And now they've completely turned that form around. So that's huge growth for me. West Ham have impressed me. Um, when we look at kind of, um, I know we're going to talk about this, but where we look at where they were and, and where they are now and how they're performing the squad that they have, as well as the fact that they're missing some players to the Asian Cup. Um, I was impressed with Spurs. They've started to kind of regress slightly, but I don't think Ryan Skinner would say that because I'm not sure that they were necessarily aiming for Champions League this year, but they have had a brilliant start to the season. Uh, and also I felt like we all kind of knew that they were going to drop off because they don't have a lot of goals in their team. Yeah. They're also missing some important players because of the Asian Cup. So it felt like they were they were peaking quite early anyway, so it's not like it's been a big drip that's a big drop that's taken a lot of people by surprise, you know. Yeah, and we've seen that from other teams before as well. Man United used to kind of have that form where they would start really well and then they just kind of peter off a little bit. I think Spurs are doing that. Man United are kind of doing the opposite where they didn't start great and suddenly they're they've taken off um this half of the season. So uh, not hugely surprised, but yeah, it's great. I I also really like Brighton, but they're they're really struggling to find consistent form. Mm. Um, but I do like what they're doing there, and I know it's a bit of a longer term project. I think it's such an interesting section of the table at the moment. I think it's been fairly consistent over the past few years with sort of teams dropping in and out of you know the sixth, seventh, eighth position. Um, but I think this season, I think that you know there's only a couple of points in between, like you said, sort of going up, you know, three or four spaces and going down three or four spaces. So I think. You know, I don't think we're going to see much movement in that middle section. It might be a case of, you know, one or two places, but but not a lot. But I think, you know, I've got to agree that I think Spurs have been on absolutely flying form this year. I think, you know, from where they've come, you know, only their, this being their sort of third year in the WSL and really cementing their position as sort of being in the top of the, the middle section pack. Um, obviously a disappointing game for them at the weekend. They did not want to be losing that game 4-0 because I think they were just heading in quite a nice trajectory. But they weren't scoring goals. So if you're not scoring goals and you're not defending well, you're you're, you're going to see that happen. But no, I think it's um it's a competitive little section. I think as well because Leicester and Birmingham City are keeping this relegation fight well and truly alive. It actually makes you keep an eye on that middle pack a little bit more because Reading, West Ham, Brighton, well and truly out of it. But it's actually not as crazily clear cut as you would think like yes that win at the weekend for Villa really gave them a lot of confidence and they're now seven points uh, away from Leicester City and uh, nine points away from Birmingham City but at the same time we've seen some crazy surprising results this season that that win over uh, Arsenal for Birmingham City being kind of like the biggest one so actually, things can change quite quickly. And I think that's why the middle pack is becoming more interesting and intriguing because some of those sides towards the bottom, I'm looking at you, Everton, on 11 points, mm-hmm. they can get sucked in. Whereas before it was like, well, Liverpool are this far back, Bristol City are this far back. No one really in that middle pack is going to get dragged in. Yeah. I think as well what you have to factor in is there's a number of teams sitting with games in hand. So, mm. And we've seen from Chelsea where you, you kind of look at Chelsea and say, well, they've got a couple of games in hand. They'll probably win that one and bounce back up the table. And then they draw with Brighton. So 
it's very much in those teams' hands to win the games they're kind of expecting to win. If they don't, you know, that's where it can get really interesting. So I still think there's movement in that middle pack. Um, and Everton, yeah, Everton need to pull their socks up. They need to change this run of form that they're on. Yeah, I, with every week that goes by, you're kind of looking at that Everton side saying, why did they sack Willie Kirk? I mean, a lot of us were probably saying it was a bit too early to, to make a, a judgment call, but they've regressed, if anything, since that change. I don't really get it with Everton. Mm. I think with the signings that they made over summer, obviously they you know, they still had Willie Kirk at that point, and now they've obviously changed management to Jean-Luc Vasseur. Um, but it just feels like they should have done better. It feels like, I think there was so much of a, of a hype around where they were going. You know, previous seasons, you could see them climbing up and getting, you know, further and further up the table, you know, ending up in fifth last year. So I was really expecting them to be the team that was going to push on and really do business this year. But... They've just fallen fallen short by he, quite, quite substantially. He said that game against West Ham, that 3 0 defeat, was a nightmare. They've had a lot of, of postponed games. Rachel, you were there. I feel like with Everton, there's a lot of nice build-up play, obviously a lot of quality. They've got good players, defensively very weak, and severely lacking confidence in front of goal as well. Yeah, and, and they shouldn't be defensively weak. They've actually got a really good back line. They should be playing well together. Um, it was an interesting one against West Ham because it didn't feel like a 3-0 game, especially in the first half. I thought Everton had the better of the first half, um, but they just could not find the net. I think if they played another half an hour, they still wouldn't have scored. Um, I do feel for, for Jean-Luc Vasseur, um, brought in on the 18th of October and kind of was expected to turn things around. You know, Willie Kirk wasn't given time and yet, Jean-Luc is kind of asking for time. time. Well, <laughs> you know, and they have really struggled to get momentum because he had a couple of games on and then they had like a couple of weekends off because of FA Cup finals and stuff. Then there's postponements in the middle. There is no real momentum. They've struggled a bit with injury and COVID cases. So I imagine it is very tough to implement a new style. Um, there is definitely flashes of it. And, and I spoke to kind of Izzy Christensen about that. She was She would not take any kind of praise or positives. She was very kind of frustrated at the result. And I think... When you are playing well in patches and still not scoring goals, I can understand that frustration because it's a bit like, well, what what do we do? I yeah, think there they, was a, a bit of an element of bad luck with that game. I think, you know, they came out in the first half and they looked like the, the better side, I think, for the majority of that of the of the first half. And I think what they didn't do is capitalise on the fact that West Ham didn't come out all guns blazing. I think they had quite a weak start. Um but I think I, I agree, you know, hitting the woodwork, missing several chances. I mean, some of them were, were fantastic opportunities, but if you're not capitalising on, you know, teams not coming out full force, things are going to go wrong. It seems like there's a bit of disconnect in that team as well. I mean, I think the the result for, for Arsenal on, on Sunday was so huge because I think it's brought them together as a group. And I feel like Everton need that moment because I think there's still a little bit disconnect in the, in the, in the group about... Who wants to be there about about the, the sort of characters you need to turn things around when things aren't going very well? And I think I don't know if it's you know a new coach coming in and, and a lot of loyalty towards Willie Kirk or what, but it just they just seem very disjointed and a bit not not together right now. Yeah, and I imagine not just about loyalty to Willie Kirk, but it just it adds an element of you know kind of insecurity to a team and, and disjointedness, as you say. Um, when a new manager comes in because you almost feel like oh god okay now we have to learn a whole new way of doing things everything's going to change you know your style of of training you know when you do things is going to change the way you play is going to change potentially your starting 11 is going to change throw in COVID cases on top of that and that's going to completely um, change things up as well now I know other teams are going through similar but I do think that kind of mental side for Everton of we've got a new manager in expectations have are really ramping up on you to turn this around it's maybe a lot of pressure on the team but 
it's hard. Like beginning of the season, you you go back to some of the earlier episodes, and all of us were kind of pointing to Everton as as the team to watch this season. I I don't think we meant to watch go down. Um, we kind of meant to to watch hopefully go yeah, up the I table. Don't, I don't and... know anyone who was saying, "Oh, don't get ahead of yourselves." I'm pretty sure everyone in like women's football world was saying the same because thing. Because they've right? got so much quality. Yeah, you look that at team. that talent, and Willie Kirk is a good coach, and you think, "Well, this is going to work out." And you know what? It probably would, but we'll never know. But also, Chloe, you've touched on this before in previous episodes where we need to give teams time. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one season necessarily. So maybe it's a bit about managing expectations as well. I'm just hoping they find form for the FA Cup game. I mean, if they're yeah. not putting goals away against Huddersfield, something needs to change. And that could be exactly what we say, that one yeah. of those confident boosts. Um, a, a team that I, I really want to chat about, um, and I know you do as well, Rachel, is West Ham. Mm-hmm. They... Under Oli Harder, they are a bit of an enigma because they can be quite inconsistent. Seeing them kind of throw away goals late on this season. It's, ta- it's taken him a while to get what he wants out of this side. This is his first full season in charge. He's had a full pre-season as well, which I think is really important for the way he wants to play because ever since he came in, he's been really clear in the style of play. It's a really intense press, quite aggressive, high turnovers, trying to win possession and then exploit teams as soon as you win w- win the ball and then take your chances when they come. And it was quite hard to see how they could make that work, perhaps with the with the first squad that he was given when he first came in, in in December 2020. But now, with the group that he's put together, things are really looking up for, for West Ham. There's still moments where you think they do lack a little bit of quality, but with quite a few players away um, in the Asian Cup as well, Hasegawa, I know, a, a, a favourite of yours. Um, and uh, Mackenzie Arnold as well is missing. And Tamiki Yallop. And Tamiki Yallop. Um, Claudia Walker, coming from Birmingham City in the summer, she she gets goals, but you know, isn't necessarily particularly consistent. But I think she works in this style of play. We saw her get goals in a very sort of counter-attacking side last season. And it's kind of working. And they haven't really got a necessary, like, reliable out-and-out striker, but they're making it work. I think that is the thing that works with them is that they're not relying on just one person or one, you know, a couple of upfront players. And I asked Ollie Harder about this after the game, you know, and he touched on the fact that if you rely too much on, you know, and he didn't say this, but for me, say your Miedemars, your Kerrs, your Kirbys, if they have a bit of a, a wobbly patch, if you like, you're not going to get goals. Your goals are going to shore up. And we're kind of seeing that a little bit with the likes of, of Arsenal and Chelsea at the moment. Um, they're getting goals from all over the park. Um, you know, we had three different goal scorers this weekend. Uh, Svitkova, Rinier's dot here, and Walker. Um, you Kate Longhurst popping up from defence against Spurs to get a, a last minute equaliser. You've had goals from Zanetta Wynn, Lisa Evans, Grace Fisk. Like it's all over the park. And I asked about how that impacts the team's confidence, knowing that someone's probably going to pop up and get something for you. And and he did say that that was a big thing that they don't want to be relying too much on on one or two players, particularly when you're missing the likes of. Um, Hasegawa and Yalab and Arnold to the Asian Cup the fact that they can have players step up and still still get them goals is really important um, I am a little bit concerned about that gap in the midfield with with the Asian Cup players missing um, I think we saw that particularly in the Spurs game where there was no real creativity in the middle there was nothing kind of happening between defence and up front um, but they seemed to manage that at the weekend Everton did have a couple of times where they cut straight down the middle so that is something I think they'll need to to look at but when you think about where they came from when they first came up they were kind of Jack Sullivan's kind of pet project there was a lot of uh, media attention on them um, I think maybe they struggled a little bit to get a proper style and, and way, like a West Ham way in place and I think Ollie Harder is bringing that for them now That he's Jack Sullivan's obviously stepped away now and I think it just feels like he can focus a bit more on football 
there's definitely a more professional type vibe. I think before, you know, when they came up and there was that massive hype with the documentary series and it all sort of looked very flashy and people thinking, okay, there's going to be big things. There's obviously some clearly some big investment happening in the squad, but that didn't really translate to results. I think they ended up sort of ninth that season, sort of, you know, looking very, very... Well, downwards pretty much and then obviously they you know started to pick themselves up a little bit more but I think they've been one of the teams that have been probably the most consistent this year in the middle pack in terms of picking up points where they're supposed to against sort of the, the Reddings the Brightons the, the teams like that so you know I have seen them now you know stop that downward trend that was happening and start to you know look upwards which is massive for them because I think consolidating even just being in the middle pack with the with the types of teams that we have in the, in the league this year is, is going to be phenomenal for them when, yeah. you look, when you look at last season and they're involved in that massive relegation battle like on the last day I think three teams could have potentially gone down and they were one of them you know so when you look at that now they're comfortably mid-table and kind of you probably feel like maybe going to gain a couple of places one or two places that is definite progress Yeah I think as well it's probably reassuring that there's still some potential and ambition behind the club because I think for me the worry was that they were going to invest a bunch of money this, this Jack Sullivan project the documentary, everything. And then once that disappeared, they were just kind of being going to be left to rot. But I think what this shows is they're probably going for a smarter, more long-term approach rather than just trying to get somewhere really quickly. And I think what they had under Matt Beard was was great. They got to an FA Cup final. Like, that's huge. Quite quickly on in the project. But you're going to need more than that to sustain to sustain your place in the WSL and they yeah they came very close to relegation and they were playing badly last season at times and it's taken a while to even get here but then at the same time they still feel quite chaotic (laughs) it just feels like any you don't know what you're going to get sometimes with West Ham I mean losing 4-2 to Chelsea midweek against a, a Chelsea side that was struggling in that game despite scoring four goals they're just so unpredictable but exciting and I'd love to know what they can do when they have you know, a bit of consistency to build on. I think this season's going to be a brilliant foundation for them. Yeah, and I think it's also worth pointing out that in the league, they haven't gone behind so far this season, which is massive. They've kind of built this little, I know they lost to Chelsea in, in the Cup midweek at home, but in the league, they just seem to have... In 2022, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in terms of like the, the ground itself, it, they've built a bit of a fortress, I think. They're getting their fan numbers up. They're getting kind of consistently over a thousand, I think, there, which is great. Um, and the, the it's a slow project as you touch on it's a long term project and as they move up the table they're going to become more attractive to, to bigger and better players and that's only going to help them in the future and then a lapse in judgement gives them possession and surely a third goal Claudia Walker gets it and it was put on a plate for Everton's defensive lapses again punished to the full Refereeing, Ooh. this bit could get spicy, so don't throw your teas, please, gals. Um, it's 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 annoying to talk about refereeing because I think we do live in a football culture where people are obsessed with refereeing decisions. I don't I don't think it helps that TV, radio, and sometimes podcasts <clears throat> just talk about them endlessly all day long. I don't think it helps the standards of refereeing. I don't think it obviously not helpful to referees um, and I don't think it's helpful for the game I don't think it's helpful for the women's game especially so it's hard when you obviously need to talk about it because it's one of the biggest talking points of the weekend and be be remiss not to mention it 
big situation, the Man City-Arsenal game. Man City take the lead. The ball bounces off referee Abigail Byrne as Beth Mead is likely to intercept the pass. It bounces off her into the path of Demi Stokes, who then plays in Lauren Hemp. Lauren Hemp gets past a sliding Narmaratz, plays in a uh, ball across the box, and Bonnie Shaw taps home. Jonas Arrival, absolutely fuming, picks up a yellow card. Arsenal players, absolutely fuming. Everyone on Twitter, absolutely fuming. Since then, we've had uh, Mark Halsey, former Premier League referee, Dermot Gallagher, former Premier League referee, um, as well as various people sort of explaining the decision-making as a referee might make that decision, which is the ball didn't change possession, so therefore Man City retained possession and the context is they were 80 yards from Arsenal's goal. So in that point, they weren't necessarily gaining an attacking advantage. Now, a lot of the rules in, in football are contextual. The only one that kind of isn't is does the, had the ball crossed the line. That's the only one a lot of the time that we can say is like extremely objective most of the time there's going to be some subjective sort of involvement in a decision and a lot of people are still upset by it with that explanation when we look at the bigger picture it is frustrating because we have had some dodgy calls in the WSL this season from day one that offside Beth Mead one I think for me the offsides are the bigger issue because we've had some really bad offside calls this season um but it's not great for that to be like the main talking point of the weekend. No, it's not. And I can understand Arsenal's frustration in that respect. And we talked about this beforehand. You know, we said if that referee was full time, it, it wouldn't have like, you know, it's not that's not what made the decision. And at the end of the day, in black and white rule book wise, she made the correct decision. But, you know, as you say, define a promising attacking opportunity like that's not a definitive thing either so I can understand the frustration on both sides of it you know it, it completely switched up the play entirely um, and, and Man City had had you know a really good attack up the left side so I can totally understand the frustrations but that's nothing to do with professional or, or semi-pro but it just adds to the many conversations we've had about referees so far this season you touched on the offside at the Arsenal game we also had a, a goal disallowed in Man United Reading at the beginning of the season that you know cross the line didn't cross the line all this kind of stuff pretty sure there was an offside in that too I think, you know, we see controversy in the men's game week on week and we have professional referees and VAR and we still have controversy. I think what is frustrating in the women's game is that a lot of the mistakes that are made are mistakes that don't require VAR and don't require replays from many different angles. They're like blatant handballs, obvious offsides, balls have clearly crossed the line. And I think that's what frustrates people. And if we talk about being the best league in the world or, or having, you know, professional players on the pitch, I think they deserve to have professional referees on the pitch as well if we're going to raise the quality of the game. I agree. And I think from a player perspective, I think it's, it's difficult sometimes when you're in a situation like that where there's clearly been something that wasn't supposed to happen and the referee's not called it or they've allowed play to happen or they've not kind of controlled the game or something to that effect. And I think that's frustrating because it, it just it detracts away from the quality of the game. You're not getting a good product because you're essentially, the game isn't being managed or controlled properly. And I do, you know, I've, I've had a look at this. I had the replay over and over again for the for the, the Man City-Arsenal game. And I do have a lot of sympathy for the ref. I think if you have a look at the kind of run that Beth Mead's making, it's actually behind the referee. So I don't think she can necessarily see that there's going to be an interception that's played. And, you know, what's most disappointing also, I think, is 
when you have a situation where it's, it's you know it's, it's plain it, it's very obvious that we have a situation with the referees in in the WSL and also the championship so you know teams need to expect that that needs to be part of your game strategy and I know with teams that I've played for previously and, and currently you know we do think about strategies in terms of the referee you know speaking to the referees getting on their good side because you know all referees Building that have relationship unconscious bias so you want to be getting in a, in a good place with the referees and you also need to be appreciating that poor decisions will probably be made at some point that you don't agree with in the game and what was disappointing point and I think to see was that Arsenal whilst obviously they were very upset about the game continuing to to, to to carry on was that a lot of the players just stopped and started making such a fuss about things they then didn't appreciate play the to the whistle play to the whistle that is you know you know that's that's football football. 101 yeah. right there play to the whistle absolutely so I think you know you've got to anticipate that bad decisions are going to be made but if you then stop and just allow the other side to then carry on I mean you're kind of creating your own downfall as well so I think there's got to be some responsibility there on on Arsenal to to carry on. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, we were talking about handballs. Ironically, Abigail Byrne was the same referee that refed the Man City Spurs game in which Roselian did handball it and uh, Spurs found the winner. I think for me, the biggest issue in the in the WSL and in the NWSL and in a lot of women's football leagues, it's offside. And it's also some of the challenges that we see. It honestly feels like sometimes you have to punch someone in the face to get sent off in this depends in this depends. Game. It's also where you will have like barely any contact and you'll get booked for something. Or you'll have like people going into it and getting nothing. So you know, th- there's no consistency in, in, in the challenges in the in the cards that they're given. So whether it's punching someone <laughs> having to get a card, but you will have games then where there's you know, ridiculous amounts of cards being handed out because it feels like the referees... What I find sometimes with referees, if they're not confident, is they'll pick a thing and they're mm-hmm. going to be really anal about that thing the whole way through the game. So if it's like, you know, being 10 yards from a free kick or making sure you're taking your throw-ins and free kicks from the exact inch-perfect position, they will be anal about that thing and that's where I start to notice, okay, they're not 100% confident. They're mm-hmm. being like over the top about certain decisions. And I think we see that a lot in the women's game. I think there's also just a select few very good referees. And I think, you know, this is a conversation that we have across the men's and women's game. It's not like there's only questionable or disappointing or inconsistent refereeing in women's football. It's just we see a lot more of it and there isn't a good enough general basic standard, I would say. I think uh, sometimes in women's football you see a lot of dangerous play that doesn't even get a yellow card. And I think you're putting players at risk by doing that. And I think we don't necessarily see that in the men's game, which is a positive. I think if anything, you know, we would see in the men's game, maybe two people being too strict. And and like you say, like sending people, sending people off because they just do a slight attack, a challenge that's quite quick and aggressive. But I think... I've, I watch a lot of football and I see I see some terrible refereeing in the EFL. So don't get me wrong, like this is not a, an issue for, for one game. But I think it's just striving to improve standards as a whole because you'll never re- refereeing as a you know as a theme. You're never going to get perfect because there's always going to be someone to disagree. And I think in this context of this game, you look at that and you look at the guidance and you look at the referees that have spoken out and you're like, actually, technically by the letter of the law, there's obviously some context there. You kind of did the right thing. But I think take this situation out of the equation and there's lots of other examples where we don't see that, where you look at the context and you say, what was the decision you made? And we can't be having the game ruled like that. There needs to be a better basic standard. Yeah, and I I do think we've gotten very used to a low standard of refereeing. Totally. So that week in, week out, we've got these kind of giving cards out like sweets or not giving them out at all and we're kind of like oh same old same old what I found found frustrating this season is you can probably 
count maybe on two hands the numbers of games that have had an incorrect decision made that has led to something like a goal or a team claiming a, an equaliser or Which a Which has a huge impact. And that has a huge... You know, yeah. we've just talked about how close the, the table is at the top, at the bottom, in the middle. And I think that's the big thing. Like, we're so used to just seeing bad challenges being ignored week in, week out. It's when those handball resulting in a goal or all of those kind of challenges that could turn a game. That's where, that's where it becomes problematic because you could have teams not winning leagues, being relegated because of a goal or two points, you know, so it, it can have a wider impact. And I think with, with fully professional referees, you would see those basic simple standards improve. For sure. And so, for example, offside calls, they would improve if you had professional referees. I think a situation like the City one, you can't really say because by the letter of law, she did the right thing. But I think there's other contextual moments where an ex- an experienced referee because if you're professional you'd be doing more games and then you'd be more experienced because you'd be doing more training and it'd be your full-time job and you just get better at your job because of that I think you would see fewer and fewer mistakes like this and there's always going to be referee moments that people are going to stick on a big iPad and want to draw around a pen and analyze to within an inch of their life but that can't be the week in week out thing I agree. And I think uh, what I was saying sort of the last podcast, obviously there's been a, a, a massive push now with the investment from Barclays. And what I'd like to see is like some of that investment going towards a sort of better situation with the with the referees and WSL and championship. But I think from from my perspective, in a way, even though we kind of look at how inconsistent some of the decisions that are, are being made are, I think going back to kind of, you know, two, three years ago, the state of the referee at that point was much worse. So even though we are still in a bad situation, it's the only silver lining that I'm taking from this is that it wasn't as bad. Yeah, well, I was going to say, have, have you seen have you seen improvements in your games? I think um, because it was women's football, it was um, they used to make quite soft decisions. So it used to be sort of that as a tackle that someone went down. It wasn't a foul, but they'd give a yellow card out just because I think they thought that women's football was a bit softer. But now you kind of see the other end of the spectrum now, where they're just allowing play to go on regardless of what happens, and I don't think you have that same control anymore. So they're sort of it, it's gone through stages, and there also used to be this kind of like bias about. The types of referees that you've had depend on different games. So we knew if we were going to be playing X team, they were going to likely to have these kind of referees and then we'd be mindful. We knew the names to watch out for, who would be particularly strict, who wouldn't be particularly strict. So we'd actually strategize around, you know, getting onside the referee or trying to sort of, you know, you know, be a bit more friendly. Tell us, tell us some of the tactics. Is it like, oh, I love your hair. Like, <laughs> I love great. your hair. <laughs> I don't know. No, you just you'd make friends with them at the start. So you know, okay. obviously the referees are doing their warm up in and around the pitches. You'd you'd make a you know special comment, to say hi. To, you know, to be a bit more friendly, a bit more amicable. Because I think it take you long to get here. Yeah, just taking a bit of an interest. Um, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but people have unconscious biases. So when they're on the field, and oh yeah, you know, it's, split, it's impossible sometimes to get rid of those. It's that when you have that split decision, um, split second decision making that you've got to be doing you know anything in your favour is good I have a question and it's kind of a pet peeve of mine but how do you feel about referees using the first name of players when they're refereeing because they sometimes a Mike Dean special well they sometimes know it really irks me because it's either nobody gets first name or everybody gets first name I hate that they know some of them and it's almost yeah, like a pally pally to, thing. I think you it's have suspicious. to. I think you have to be the same across the board. Yeah, really. it really annoys me when you when I see that. It's very very suspicious, and that goes back to what I was saying before about you know if we if we were playing X team, we knew that 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 referee might probably sort of um, officiate some of X's games on a regular basis, so they would be pally with that team. Mm. So we knew that decisions were likely to go in their favour if they were fifty fifty calls. So 
I don't like it. I, I feel like I would do a, like a number ten. Yeah, num- number ten. That's 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 your warning now. One Apply more and you're in the burly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's something that really bothers me, and I've noticed with refereeing. But then when it's on the other side and it's a referee going, "Oh, Chloe, come on, you, you're wrong." Good save, Chloe. <laughs> yeah, I saw you there. Brilliant. Thanks. Tips on that one. Well done. <laughs> so it works both ways. Um, we should say as well. I mean, this is this is an ongoing development, and I I agree with you, Chloe. I think it feels like a little bit that like one side of the game is professionalizing at such a quick, rapid rate, and the other parts of the game are kind of getting left behind a little bit and they do have to go together at once. Otherwise, you know, the quality of the football is not going to be as good. But we have seen a little bit of progress over the sort of past year or so. April 2021, the WSL um, and Championship announced that uh, officials had been taken in uh, to the PGMOL um, and Bibiana Steinhouse has kind of been overseeing them as well and supporting them, which is great. I suppose it takes time as well to see the kind of the benefits of that. Um, Baroness Sue Campbell of the FA was asked about the time frame for professionalisation of, of referees in the women's game and there isn't one really, unfortunately. But you'd like to think we must be on the way there. Yeah, I really would like to think that. The other thing I find bizarre on the flip side is that in the 2019 World Cup, they decided to A, change some rules beforehand and B, say, yeah, you can use VAR. And everyone yeah, that, like, was Wait, what? that was because chaos. Because they never used it before. No, yeah, no one knew how to use it. it which is absolutely understandable. You don't know how to use it. It's like being chucked in this and one of the biggest moments of your life as a referee and they're like, oh, please use this technology and that no one knows how to use. we're going to change some rules when it comes to things like penalties. Oh my God. And then refereeing was such a controversial topic the whole way through the tournament. The goalies so, off the line line thing was and then, but they changed it halfway through they changed yeah. the rule half- so either like pick a path and stick to it rather than going you're going to stay semi-pro but in this circumstance you're going to be fully professional with all the kit like it's just it blows I mean, we shall we shall see if this is the last we talk about refereeing it won't for this be. season I hope it is it, it won't be but it, pro- it probably won't Lucy Bronze has spotted a run and it hits the referee in the middle of the park play goes on though and the ball goes forward on that far hand side, and Lauren Hemp has been able to skip away. And here's Buddy Shaw, and there's the opening goal for Manchester City. A mistake at the back from Arsenal, and Manchester City to pull it back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Clash of the Titles is the podcast where two movies with something in common go head to head in a fight to the death as we decide which film does it better. And for the whole of January and February, we're taking film suggestions from you, our listeners. But he said to me, I was putting on, and because we've done the social network, and he's like, why are you doing all these good films? <laughs> and I said, oh, well, you know. And then I had to admit that every, other people pick them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Join me, Alex Zane, with Chris Tilly and Vicky Crompton every Monday and Thursday. 
Search Clash of the Titles wherever you get your pods. FA Cup. Can you guys can you guys hear that? What the FA Cup? I mean, it doesn't make a noise. You just shouted it. It's the magic of the cup. Oh, oh sorry. God. Okay. It's Jesus the magic Christ. of the cup. Um, Chloe, what was that? Yeah, I don't know. fourth round of the FA Cup this weekend. Um, don't mention that Crystal Palace aren't in it. You just did. <laughs> that was like completely unnecessary. It's not even. You didn't even have to reference that at all. Literally. Um, but go on. Very exciting because there's some there's some tasty fixtures Claw in back. this. You've got a weekend off, so you're chilling out. But um, we don't have a weekend off. We had a. Uh, oh, you got a rearranged game. Oh, rearranged game. Rearranged game. This weekend. Just making yeah. it worse. Oh. There is no rest for the wicked. There yeah. is for. There's rest for people with broken fingers, though. I assume. There is. So, so you have a weekend off. There is. So rest. you do have a weekend off. <laughs> Personally, but, yes. Uh, some rearranged championship fixtures getting uh, slotted in there, but um, one of the one of the games of the weekend has got to be Bridgewater United. We spoke about them before at home to Manchester United. A very, very exciting fixture. I know that the club are very hyped for it. They are on the verge of breaking their attendance record, the attendance record that Yeovil, formerly uh, uh, Bridgewater United, had. Uh, so very, very exciting there. And I think it's about 1,900 potentially or, or more in I'm through the door. buzzing for this. I've got to say, obviously, like, they knocked us out. So I want, I'm not too happy about this. But, like, I'm really backing Bridgewater. You feel better as well. well if, if they're, they're going to knock you out, yeah. if they're going to knock you out, yeah. you want them to go far in the competition, right? 100%. And they're just, you know, I was speaking to a couple of people who work there, the managers, the team, and the, the progression of the club, where it's gone to, the ethos, the mentality, the investment that's gone into that club in recent years has been absolutely phenomenal. And I think even though Man, City, uh, Man United are absolutely obviously the favourites to win this game, they've got so many adverse factors at play here. I mean, they've got the long journey down there, the overnighter. Man United have obviously just come off the back of, you know, a big game against Tottenham. Plus, you've got the pitch, the conditions, probably the more local referees, that kind of vibe. So Ooh, yeah. you really don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. The locals. <laughs> They're not going to know their names. <laughs> Maybe some good pottery as well. Bridgewater, isn't that where the, is it a pottery place? Oh, she's I, gone weird. Uh, I know. Someone, I, could, someone could Do you think it. if we just ignore her, she'll move um, on? I hope so. I've never been to Bridgewater for its pottery. I don't know. I don't even know where it is. Um, <laughs> this could be another romantic date idea. <laughs> it could be. Maybe that's where she's got it from. Yeah. Maybe, who knows? A little bit of a uh, little bit of clay, a little bit of Only brush, a four brush hour and drive. <laughs> I'm going to move this on quickly um, by saying, uh, not to be Debbie Downer, but I would not want to be facing Man United right now because they're on They're in high. good form. Um, and hats off as well to, to United fans travelling down there because that was always well, that's why a it's even better for, journey. So it's, it's a really uh, even better tie for Bridgewater because they've not only got a lot of local interest, but they've got one of the biggest well-supported teams coming down and one of the biggest away followings coming down, which is huge. And also, I think we spoke about it before, but... The way that the uh, gate receipts are split is much more in favour of the home side, which mm -hmm. actually in this case is really great. Well, um, they've got nothing to lose. I mean, they're the absolute underdogs here. I mean, they're going to go out. I mean, they put in a blockade when they played us. So I am what, It was just like 10 man behind the ball. It was intense. It was very intense. It was very difficult to penetrate. So, And I'm not making excuses here, but I'm buzzing for this game. One to watch. we got to also give some shout outs for... Two WSL legends, England legends, who are on the move Thank this you. week. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> um, Carly Telford, goalkeepers union, uh, has left Chelsea uh, to join and link up with Casey Stoney at US side San Diego Wave. A brilliant move for her. I think a lot of people thought she was going to see her contract out at Chelsea. She just signed a new contract last year in a kind of more of a coaching role and, you know, potentially retire there. But 
perhaps with one eye on the Euros in the summer, thinking she might still want to try and make that squad. She's gone over to the States. Really exciting for her as well. I mean, why not also play in the California sunshine in the twilight years of your career and play with one of the most exciting young managers in women's football? Yeah. Yes to that. Yeah. I I mean, I'm sad because I really love Carly, so it'll be be sad not having her in the WSL. I know we weren't getting to see her play, but even chatting to her on pressers and media days and stuff, um, she's great. So yeah, she will be missed in that respect, but hopefully she'll get a bit more playing time um, and I'm sure Casey's going to use her experience as well. New squad, you know, having experienced heads in there will be key for her. So yeah, I'm excited for her. And a good character as well. If you're building a new team, she's a good character to have around. And then Jill Scott, um, another legend. She's gone to Aston Villa on loan. Very excited for the Carla Ward-Jill Scott link-up. I think that is a brilliant move for Aston Villa. They need someone like her. She is too good to not be, you know, a, a key part of of a, a top WSL side. So I think it's a really good move for her. I think City are going to miss her, you know, because we know how how much they can be impacted by injuries. And it's going to say who are they going to put in defence if someone gets injured? Well, there you go, not but, Jill Scott, not Jill Scott at this rate. Uh, so two really interesting interesting moves in the past week. We still got a couple more days before the window slams shut. Friday the 28th. 27th, so, turns out. Got not the 27th. It's the not 27th. the 28th. Yeah, it's Thursday. What a random day to close what? it. Mm. I thought it was 28th at 5 Everyone did. Turns out it's Thursday. Wow. There was a confusing. whole chat right before we came on air in, right. uh, online. But yeah, a lot of people had said 28th and turns out it's 27th. So, so get those players signed. Wow. Quickly. <laughs> Um, I still think, well, there's there's probably a few more ones to sort out because there was rumours that Alicia Russo was also going to go over to San Diego Wave and link up with Casey Stoney, who obviously brought her to Manchester United to have a very close relationship. Don't know if that's going to happen. Obviously, only a few more days to sort at, sort that out. can't remember if there were any other, other big sort of ones. It hasn't been the craziest transfer window, No, really. and a lot of coaches have talked about how this is the most difficult transfer window. Um, mm. and how hard it is to sign players. Nobody wants to let anybody go, especially with COVID, um, with squads being thin on the ground. You know, the end, of, the end of last year, early this year, I think a lot of clubs are not willing to, to relinquish their hold on some of their players. So managers have definitely struggled to sign players. Yeah, and I think obviously Blackstenius was probably the Hollywood signing of the window. For so. sure. And City hanging on to hemp. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. Um any more for any more? I was going to just briefly touch on, I know we talked about the FA Cup very quickly, but there's a couple of other exciting ones. Um, Nottingham Forest entertaining Man City. That's huge. Yeah, Forest are on a nice little project there. Yeah, and uh, Huddersfield are hosting Everton, I think at their main stadium as well. So that's exciting. So, you know, a couple of tasty clashes. Whether we'll see an upset, I don't know. If Huddersfield beat Everton, do you think John Luke Vassell will get sacked? No, because I honestly don't know what they'd expect bringing in another manager. Like, you'd literally just have to accept. And he talked about it when he first came in, that he needs time. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be Kirk ridiculous. Back. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? Maybe they can hilarious. do it together. Like, <laughs> very, team up. It's a very Watford thing to do, would be to just sack your manager, bring a new one, and then bring in the old one back. Um, what are you up to this weekend, girls? Uh, well, going to Chelsea tomorrow, Arsenal on Thursday. I'm and at then Arsenal on Thursday, see you Brighton there. on Sunday. I'll be at home, Bromley, uh, to Lewis, the rearranged uh, league game just before Christmas. So, yeah, it should be a big one. Um, yeah, if we get these points, it should sort of redeem us from, from the weekend. So Don't talk about that. <clears throat> There's a lot of things. Oh, you guys brought it up. Why are you always saying I'm the one bringing it up? You brought it up. Um, I'm going to be in Butlins this weekend. Um, With who? Yeah, romantic. I'm actually, no, I'm actually going to a sort of 90s nostalgia festival at Butlins. I was going to say, could you imagine if Butlins of... was a date? 
We'd, oh, we'd have serious on. issues. We'd have, have a serious conversation with her. You dragging me down again. Is that a birthday present? No, it's Gosh. not. It's just an end of month. It was that Christmas present you didn't January, you know, <laughs> hoo-ha. Anyway. Wow. Uh, it's been exciting. great to chat with you all. Um, and that is it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, please tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball, or at Morgie underscore 89. And we will see you all next week. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 